Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we're starting off the 2022-23 season with our, our uh, preview editions here. Uh, this is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. I'm joined by my usual co-conspirators, uh, the sports director for ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit. Ladies and gentlemen, Coity, how are we living? Uh, good, Bill. We're coming to you live from my living room in North Smithfield, Rhode Island. So I'm very happy and comfortable. I've got my next cup of coffee here and ready to talk some college hoops, which is great. And, and the sports director at Fox Providence and WPRI Providence, Maury Hirschgordon. Maury, how are we living? Right up the road from uh, from Coity, checking in from Johnston this morning on a beautiful <laughs> Friday as we are about 72 hours away from tip-off. Uh, happy to be back, Koch. I am in my Warwick home. Uh, we are on Zoom. Uh, this is the three-man weave edition uh, of the season previews of the pod. Uh, in this episode, we'll be covering the two teams that made the NCAA tournament last year from Rhode Island. That's Providence and Bryant. Uh, we will start with the Friars, guys. Uh, you know, a breakthrough season for Ed Cooley last year. Sweet 16 berth, uh, the first one for Providence in 25 seasons. Um, Big East regular season champions, the the first time the program has done that since joining the league, um, you know, really was a, a dream season for the Friars, uh, you know, after a year where they staggered a bit, they were 500, um, you know, there was some grumbling about, you know, we've invested so much in facilities and, and in program amenities and, uh, you know, Ed's a, a decade in and, you know, why, why can't we, uh, you know, why can't we be Villanova or, or UConn or somebody like that? And, you know, I think we saw Providence's patience rewarded last year. And, you know, what what I would ask you guys is, is where do you feel like they could take this? Um, you know, can they establish themselves now as a firm top third of the Big East program? Can they make this a, a thing where they go to the second weekend you know, every other year, every third year, can can they sort of can they sort of punch through that ceiling that they've created? Coity, what what do you think just generally on on Providence? What is their potential? Uh, I mean, I think since the league changed over to this new Big East, which it's funny we say that, but it's been what almost ten years now. Yeah. It, it was Providence was one of the programs that benefited from this, and. You know, to see them have the success they had last year, I, I think I think that question may have been answered a couple of years ago during the COVID season because we saw Providence have a rise in February. And the funny thing is, if if they had played that tournament, I, I really it's a great mystery and question as to how far they could have taken that season. Yep. And that to me says that okay, say that year they win a game in the tournament or win two games in the tournament and get to the sweet 16. Now you're talking about a team that did it two out of the last three years. And so you may see a consistent wave of, okay, so you get some guys in that year. It was Pipkins was your big transfer and he helps lead your team to the tournament. You have guys that you recruited like David Duke and AJ Reeves and Nate Watson. And then you bring in some new talent and maybe it takes a year. Maybe it takes two, depending on who you bring in as a transfer and then you get back to where you want to go. I, so I, I think the answer to that question is, yeah, I think they can be. I think the patience needs to be there, though, because I don't think it's going to happen every single year. It may be like every second year, every third year, like you said, Bill. But with the facilities they have, with how strong they can recruit, 
um, and with the talent that they can bring in. And now that a guy like Jay Wright isn't coaching in the Big East, that to me says, I think the door is open for a program like Providence to be sort of a perennial that gets to the tournament there. And, and Maury, that's why we asked this question, and, and we'll go to the Philly guy here on the pod. Uh, you know, Jay Wright retiring at Villanova would seem to open the door for everyone in the Big East. The, the Wildcats have dominated the league since it was reformed. Um, you know, they have been the clear top team. They've been the the, the standard bearer in the conference. And, you know, none of this is, is to diminish what we think Kyle Neptune could be coaching at Villanova. But the fact is, Jay Wright is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he built this current iteration of Villanova uh, into a two-time national champion and a team that reached a couple other Final Fours. Um, you know, so I think it's only natural to wonder about whether or not there's a power vacuum there that, that somebody else could step into. Yeah, think about what happened this offseason. I mean, you had Ed Cooley coming off of a national coach of the year type season to end the year and coupled by a titan in the sport leaving and departing probably 5, 10, maybe 15 years earlier than he could have. Um, for whatever reason that was, the Friar fans will take it. Um, so I think yeah. now you yeah. have the preeminent coach in the league on your side and while he was trending that way, he was never going to surpass Jay Wright or even come close unless he reaches a final four, wins at least one national championship. So with the departure of, of Wright and Cooley winning national coach of the year, I think it's a double, uh, it's a double whammy right there. And, and, and it's great news for, for Providence fans. Um, can they continue to take this next step? Um, I would have to agree with Coit in terms of it's not going to happen every single year especially when you bring in all the new faces, all the new talent um, that, that they have, at the, especially the beginning of this season. But um, I think that with the home court advantage that they established last year, um, you know, the record number of season ticket holders, the vision with the, from the administration, starting with Steve Napolillo and, and their president over there and right on down the line. Um, you know, if Providence can become this place where, you know, um, you have a couple fifth-year guys transfer over like we saw in Al Durham and Justin Minaya, and they pop right away. And now they're starting to invest in some transfers that'll take a couple of years to sort of grow and develop into these stars. Jared Bynum, Noah Horkler, Ed Croswell, to name a few, um, are the next couple guys in that wave, Bryce Hopkins, Devin Carter, uh, players like that. Then I think this thing snowballs. Um, I think – this is a really big year just to get back to the tournament to show that, A, last year wasn't a fluke, um, and that if you can become this place where transfers can thrive fairly early and Ed Cooley can mold all of these players together, once you have two years of proof, I think then that really elevates your pitch to recruiting the next wave down the line. I think if you take sometimes a step back, that's okay, and that happens, but it's not as strong of a pitch going forward if you can say, hey, year one, year two, you know, sweet 16, right back to the dance. And now we're going to reload again for a third straight year. And then you look back and Coit brought it up what 2020 could have been. So then you're looking at almost three out of the last four. So so, I mean, all the all the momentum is in the right direction. It's now can they capitalize and uh, and the ball goes up pretty soon. And let me yeah. add this too, Maury. I'll say this. When you say, you know, take a take a step back for a year, does a step back 
is that being a bubble team that gets into the tournament as a, say, 10 seed, something like that. And okay, maybe you win a game, maybe you get knocked out first round, whatever. But if that is what becomes your step back and you're peaking every second, third year, going to a second weekend, pushing to try to get to a final four, then you have something, you know? And I think, I think the potential is there that a year that is, you know, maybe not your peak year, you can still get to the tournament, be in the dance, be in the mix, get that experience. So those transfers that come in, that second, third year that you're developing them, you're pushing for, you know, a, a bigger goals in mind. No doubt. And Ed has already established that. I think we've seen yeah. that right over the last almost decade. He's he's right there at the tournament, in the tournament comfortably pretty much every season, every other season. So he's definitely established that as his floor. Now yeah. it's, yes, it's taking a step back from, you know, a top four seed, you know, playing in the regional closest to home, being able to sell out the place like we saw last year in Buffalo. Yeah, taking a step back is a seven seed, a 10 seed, you know, just continuing the winning train. Um, but it'll be important now and, and incumbent on, uh, you know, Ed Croswell and Jared Bynum to pass that winning tradition on um, this year in, in, a, in a very, very important bridge year. I think it's super important for them to get back to the dance, to teach these guys that will take the torch from here on out, um, teach them how to win, um, what it's like to have the target on your back as a top three, top four team in the Big East um, and continue to move forward. Yeah, from a program perspective, they, they've done a lot of the hard work already. They, they've sort of gotten themselves to the point where we consider them a, a team that should compete for the NCAA tournament every year. And, and I don't think that's any small thing. I, I think that's, you know, obviously big credit to Ed Cooley, uh, big credit to the administration at Providence, Bob Driscoll and, and Steve Napolillo, and, and obviously the university presidents who hired them, Brian Shanley and, and Ken Sicard. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you look at what Ed has done with with his teams. Um, this year will be a little different in my mind because this is sort of like the first full transfer portal team I, I think he's had. This is you know, maybe the fewest number of returners in a rotation that that I can remember him having um, that wasn't due to graduation. They they, they made a they made a, a targeted effort in the offseason to go out and get guys who had multiple years of eligibility to try and build something, um, you know, for this year, for next year, for the third year. Um, you know, and I, I look at their roster, you know, obviously Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, um, you know, are going to be two big pieces coming back. Alan Breed was, uh, you know, a secondary piece off the bench in the rotation. Uh, Rafael Castro was a red shirt last year. Those are their four returners. That's it. Um, you know, it's it's a it's going to be a really good test for for Ed Cooley to sort of meld these guys together and, and sort of find out what he has here. Uh, you know, but if you look at the the Mal Brown scrimmage and, and then the two exhibition games against AIC and Assumption, uh, guys, I, I don't know about you, but I see the talent level, just raw talent of these guys. I, I think the floor is as high as any team Ed has had. I, I don't think he's had many guys like a Bryce Hopkins. Uh, who's a clear top 50 guy who you watch and you say, yeah, there's a reason why this guy was at Kentucky. He is 6'8 and plays like a shooting guard. Um, you know, how soon before he dominates the Big East or, or is a first-team all-conference type player? You know, when does he mature into that? Um, you know, does someone like Devin Carter take the experience he got at South Carolina last year playing the SEC and seamlessly transition 
into Providence to take an ownership role early. Um, you know, do the grad transfers like Noah Locke and and Clifton Moore, do they settle as well as a Manaya um and an Al Durham? Uh so I, I think Ed Cooley, maybe more so than before, I, I think he sort of, he he gets to be a pro coach in a way this year. He's sort of gone into free agency. He he's gotten some good pieces uh who have significant talent. It's just a matter of how he's able to marry them together and, and what they're going to show on game nights. It's funny you say that because the first thought that popped into my mind when you said first full transfer team, I'm thinking about Bill Belichick signing all the checks and handing out all the money. What was it, last offseason? Yeah, a couple of years ago, right. That yeah. Did. Yeah. yeah, bringing Matt Judon and Hunter Henry and all the guys and your boy Nelson Aguilar there more he comes in and can't take care of the football. But that's beside the point. Um that no, I, stinks, I think, by the way, he's, really, <laughs> he's not a he's good player. He's terrible. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's for a podcast for another day. Um, oh. No, I, I think in terms of the talent uh, on this roster, Bill, you're, you're totally right. Uh, <laughs> Ed's had talented guys. You know, he had Chris Dunn come through. Um, but in terms of the roster overall, like having a guy like Hopkins, boy, that is – that's next level talent. I mean, as you said, with the size and the way that he's able to play, I mean, just from the small sample size we've seen, the kid is just smooth. Yeah. And to have a talent like that on your roster, that's the kind of talent that makes me think of, okay, when, you know, Villanova was being this perennial power under Jay Wright, the last however many years he would get, you know, that sort of talent on his roster or, you know, those upper tier teams in the Big East would get that kind of talent. You know, I, I think Ed, again, has gotten like guard talent. Um, he's had plenty of great guys that he's coached at that position. But a guy like Hopkins, I think it's I think it's just a different it's a different level. It's a different thing. Um, you know, and funny thing is, he's getting a guy like that and he's also still bringing in good guard talent. I mean, everybody around the program talks about already as a freshman how much Jaden Pierre may be, you know, a key piece for them, uh, even just as a freshman and a leader and whatnot. I mean, it's, yeah. So he's combining a lot of different talents on this roster and it's, it's making for an exciting mix potentially. Yeah. Ed's had the NBA talent. I mean, we've seen with Don, we've seen with Bentel, we've seen with some other guys, but this is like, the expectation for Hopkins, you can even potentially throw in a guy like Rafael Castro, even though he's young, what he can do at all three levels and just his sheer size and his athleticism that like the NBA, like is, is the real expectation. It's not a lofty goal, right? You know, Ed's done a really good job in terms of over the years, getting guys to be all league guys year three, year four, not right when they step on campus. If they have the season they're expected to have, they're going to be second team, all Big East, maybe push it even for first team, depending on the type of season they have. So, yeah, the top end talent is there. And then you have some holdovers and it's a it's a really interesting roster. Um, I think a big question and we can get into it is. Last year, he was able to cut the rotation at seven and a little bit. Now it's will he right. play eight strong? Will he play eight and a little bit? Um, early in the season, we know he, he usually plays nine, sometimes 10 and that's fine against Ryder and that's fine against Penn and that's fine against Stonehill. Um, but can you get collective experience during live action with the, with the roster that you have considering the amount of talent and depth that that's at his disposal? 
Yeah, they start off with with some soft touches. I I think certainly on purpose. Uh, you know, you go Ryder, Northeastern. Bill Cohen does a good job at Northeastern. That that won't be the easiest game in the world. Uh, you know, then Stonehill adds alma mater. Uh, then you go to Mohegan Sun for a pretty good test. You you got Miami coming up. Uh, Miami, a team that was in the Elite Eight last year. Uh, you know, obviously Jim Laranega is a, a, a PC alum and, and the head coach there. Uh, you know, the Friars would have played them in Chicago had they beaten Kansas. Um, you, know, you got Miami and then potentially either St. Louis or, or Maryland at Mohegan. Um, you know, depending on what Kevin Willard does at, at Maryland, all three of those teams could be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, so that will be the the real test for Providence non-conference. Um, you know, certainly you're, you're looking at a trip to TCU in the Big East Big 12 battle. Uh, a trip to URI at the Ryan Center, that will be a snake pit that night. You guys have both been at that game. You know what it's like when Providence goes there. Um, you know, so they got a little bit of time to sort of ramp up here. Um, you know, their Big East opener is December 17th at Seton Hall. Um, you know, so they have about a month and a half here to to find themselves. They have a couple reasonable tests on the schedule, uh, you know, but for the most part, it's home by games at the Amica Mutual Pavilion. Uh, you know, you figure to have a significant advantage there. You've sold over 10,000 season tickets. Um, you know, that was a great atmosphere last year, certainly during the Big East games. And, and you would imagine that, uh, you know, the non-conference games, not the sexiest, but you're still going to have a, a, a decided advantage uh, when you play at home. Uh, you know, and I, I look at Providence, they're picked fifth in the Big East. Um, you know, obviously there are great expectations there for Creighton, their preseason top 10 team. Um, you know, Xavier, UConn, Villanova, th- those are the teams that are expected to contend. Um, you know, me personally, I-, I like Creighton a lot. I like UConn a lot, actually. I, I think um, Connecticut has a-, a really deep roster. Uh, you know, certainly the best one Dan Hurley has had there. Um you know, ultimately, I think they'll be the team that that challenges Creighton at the top of the league. Um, you know, but I, I certainly I look at Providence and I think, you know, and Maury alluded to this. That I think one of Ed's biggest strengths as a coach is is his ability to define roles quickly. Um, you know, and his ability to really set clear expectations for his guys. I, I think that makes players comfortable when they know what's expected of them, uh, you know, in practice and in games every day. Um, you know, I think that's where they're most effective. Uh, and I think that's probably, you know, one of his greatest strengths as a coach. And and I think the sooner he's able to do that with this group, you know, whether it's five games, 10 games, by the Big East opener, whatever it is, um, the sooner we'll see them really start to gel and improve and and turn into the team that that we expect them to be. And I think, too, last year, those roles were defined very early with some of the guys that you brought in. When you bring in grad transfers like Durham and Manaya, they I think the sales pitch is probably partly, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you're going to fit into this team. With the younger sort of transfer talent that you bring in, I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of experimenting. You know, Ed said it the other day, you know, there's some guys in practice that, uh, play differently or act differently or whatever, and then they get into a game environment and it's different. And so I want to see a little bit more of that. And so, you know, I, I would say for, you know, people that are watching this team, Friar fans, you know, because it was such a great year last year and they had so much success, maybe a little bit of patience to start because 
I think Ed's probably going to experiment a little bit there to try to see, okay, can this guy do this? And if he can, then, okay, I want him to be in this role or whatever. Um, and so you're probably going to see some of that early, but you're right. Once he defines the roles, I think if guys buy in the way they did last year, then they can have the kind of success that, you know, they, they've had here. Yeah, it can be the same type of uh, layout. Like last year, uh, we had an availability at the dunk uh, and we can call it the dunk because it was last year. Yeah, past tense, right? Uh, you can do that. It's allowed. It's allowed. Um, it was before the Texas Tech game and then followed by the URI game is when he really started to hone the roster um, and, and define the roles. And that was the eighth game. And the eighth game this year is at TCU. It's that mm-hmm. same week. It's that late November, early December. It's uh, a big matchup with the team in the Big 12. Then it's the rivalry game against URI. He's got seven games to, to play with. I think the first three are going to be, um, you know, uh, fairly diplomatic. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of playing time for a lot of guys. I think we could see in spurts in Connecticut, um, what we could see and expect late January, February. And right. then I think Merrimack and Columbia is like, all right, here's your last two tune-ups before the season really gets going. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of roles and, and, and who's coming off the bench and whatnot. And, and then you always have to see about injuries and, and, and what, you know, other things that pop up. I mean, last year, Justin and I wouldn't have been in the starting lineup had Jared Bynum not had that injury, you know, for a couple of weeks there. Um, and that turned out to be a blessing in disguise. So, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason and you have to take them in stride. Manaya starts and Jared Bynum becomes the sixth man of the year in the Big East. So, um, you know, sometimes as, as much as, you know, we'll look to see, oh, who's Ed bringing, who's the first guard off the bench, who's the forward off the bench first, or, you know, who gets the touches in a, uh, in a key situation late in a game or late in a half. You know, sometimes you just have to let those things play out for four to six weeks before you really can uh, can decide and uh, and and tell what will happen. You know, come February and March when the games really count. Yeah, that that's definitely something that that Ed has preached uh, every time he's been available here in this preseason is is have some patience. Uh, you know, give these guys a little bit of time. Give me a little bit of time. Uh, you know, because this is new and, and it, it's something that you know we're all sort of finding our way together here. Um, you know, as we get into this. Um, you know, for me, I, I see Providence as an NCAA team. I, I think they will be in the top half of the Big East. Um, you know, I could see them. I could see them finishing third in the league. I, I think that would be a good season for them. I, I think Creighton and UConn are, are better. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that that they're any worse than Xavier or, or Villanova. Um, you know, or Mystery Team X. I, I certainly think that that they're right there with, with just about anybody else in the league. Um, you know, and I could see them going back to the NCAA tournament. I, I feel like that is, you know, sort of the annual expectation that, that Ed has set. Um, you know, and I feel like with the transfer portal being what it is and, and the fact that they were successful in it last year. And, you know, as Maury said early in the pod, the, the fact that they've been able to show recruits that if you come here, you're going to be used in a certain way you know, get a certain amount of minutes, you'll be able to advance your own career in a certain way. Um, you know, I think they have a lot to sell. And and I think that's definitely something they took advantage of this offseason. And, and I think it's something that, you know, will benefit them throughout 2022-23. So I will say the Friars will be an NCAA team. I think they'll be in the top half of the league. I'm going to pick them to finish third in the conference. Um, 
you know, and I, I think that we'll be back on the road with them uh, in March. I, I wonder how you guys see them. Yeah, I, I, I think they could get back to the tournament. Absolutely. With the talent that they have, I think they'll put it together. Um, and I'd say top half of the league to, you know, the two teams that you mentioned, I just think there's some, you know, I, I think with the Friars too, you know, meshing together a lot of new talent, I'm sure that, you know, there's going to be some growing pains at some point. So that's sort of an unknown. How does it all come together? But I think Villanova has some of that uncertainty with, okay, yeah, sure. You know, you have Neptune comes in as, as your new coach, but is he Jay Wright? I, I don't know. Can he be Jay Wright? Like it's, it's, we'll see. That's an unknown. High bar. Right, exactly. High bar. And with Xavier, Sean Miller's back. Okay. Does Sean Miller take them where they want to go? Does it, does he steer it right in the, in the right direction? I, I don't know. We don't know. There's an unknown there. So, but I think all three of those programs, those teams are going to be in the top half of the league. And I think you're right, Bill. I think UConn is top two or three. And excuse me, I, I think Creighton to me, I mean, they are, <laughs> they're talking about at that school, this being the best team that Creighton has ever had. And we saw Shireman last year in the tournament, the kid's good. And you add him to the already great young talent that you have there. You know, I, yeah, I'm not surprised that the expectations are so high with Creighton. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how it all comes together for them because they really do have a big time potential and they could really carry this league this year. Um, but yeah, for Providence, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. If you're top five, six in the league, you're going to be looking at dancing in March and with the talent that they have and the returners they have. Yeah. I think we're going to be on the road with them again, too. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be another busy March. Um, speaking of UConn there for a sec, boy, oh boy, there's a decent amount of pressure on our old friend, Danny Hurley to, to deliver. <laughs> sure is. Um, it's either yeah. got to be a regular season title. It's got to be a big East tournament title, or it's got to be, you know, pretty damn close to a second weekend because this is year five now and they've had their chances, you know, the last two years. So I think UConn puts it together. Uh, I think on paper, you can put them at two right behind Creighton. And I think PC, yeah, comes in at three or four right there. Um, you know, Villanova's got some injuries early in the year. How does it work with a new coach? Um, and then I think Xavier's up there as well. The one team that I would, you know, look if, if I was looking elsewhere for a surprise squad might be a St. John's. Um, Tyler Kolick believes his Marquette Golden Eagles. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to say, Murray, don't count out Tyler Kolick because he uh, is—he's not happy. Exactly. <laughs> no, he's not motivated. And uh, and we're surely a far way away from the start of Big East play. But just to look at the first four games, you're at Seton Hall, uh, who's got a new coach. Marquette comes to town with a kid who's from Rhode Island, and then you have a little Chicago swing, Midwest swing with Butler DePaul. Three of their first four in the Big East are on the road. So as much as we'll learn early about the Friar team in the in the non-conference play, we will as well in the Big East. But I think when it's all said and done, it, it's a 20-plus win team, um, and it's a team that should be in the dance. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, great possibilities there in a, a very interesting league this year in the Big East. There, there's no shortage of storylines. Uh, yeah, UConn losing to New Mexico State in the first round of the tournament, definitely not acceptable. You, you, you could swallow hard and say, all right, we lost to Maryland. You know, they're a Big Ten team. That, that's okay. But uh, losing yeah, the, the following night, if you get you lose to Arkansas, okay, no big deal. Fine. But, uh, you know, losing to Chris Jans is, is – that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, you know, that game was in Buffalo, and, and UConn stunk in that game. They were really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, that was one of the uglier games of the first round in the tournament for sure. Um, 
you know, our second NCAA team from last year, Bryant, uh, you know, team that uh, really put themselves on the map last season, uh, you know, not just with their performance, but with what they were able to create in Smithfield. And, and I know you guys were in the building at Chase Center, uh, you know, down the stretch last year, that environment, those sellout crowds, that student section, um, you know, that's what you work for in college basketball. That's what every coach wants when they take a job. Those are the nights that they envision. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of grit and effort behind the scenes. A lot of nights, like Jared Grasso said, where his wife and his kids and Phil Martelli's wife and their kids are the only people in the building, uh, you know, watching a 3-28 and team their first year, um, you know, a team that was uh, – you know, really down in, in the Northeast Conference, um, you know, and to watch them build up to a program that, you know, finished so strongly last year. I think they won 19 in the last 22, um, you know, win regular season and conference championship, uh, go to Dayton for the first four and, and you know, have the national scoring leader in, in Peter Kiss. Um, you know, it, it was it was quite a thing to to watch not just last season, but over the course of multiple seasons. It's been quite a thing to watch what Jared has done there um, in Smithfield and making them relevant. And, you know, the interesting thing for me, and I wrote this earlier this week for the journal, similar to Providence, is how much ceiling do they have left? You know, how much more can they do uh, moving to the America East and, and essentially coming back with, uh, like Providence, a lot of new faces, um, you know, a lot of guys in the transfer portal, um, you know, but guys who are very talented, who played at a very high level in other places, I they're they're probably for me, um, you know, they're the most intriguing out of the four men's teams in the state because I think they've added pieces that translate to their league probably better than than anybody else has. Well, and I also think that when you come back with a returner like Charles Pride, <laughs> I think that's a great anchor to all the transfer talent that you brought in because by the end of the year last year, yes, we were all talking about Peter kiss and being the national scoring leader and, you know, being the guy that was leading that team, but it's not like Charles, it's not like he was one and Charles was two. Charles was one a with him and he had his nights where he carried the team too. And so to have a guy like that, that can be instantly in America East and all league score and anchor things down for, some of the great talent that you've brought in here and great experience too. Yeah. I, I, I think they are really well set up to go into this league. It's funny. I was kind of, I was looking over Vermont's roster today and they've got a couple guys that return, but I, I just don't think they have guys that were in a lead role that, you know, that a guy like Charles pride was for Bryant. And I think people hesitate Look, it, Vermont is a power in that league. They're going to get preseason love. John Becker has been a preseason favorite many, many times leading that program. To me, if I was voting in that poll, maybe it's the we cover them and we're in Rhode Island and maybe it's a little bit of that bias. I would pick Bryant to win the league preseason. I would because of what they have in Charles and then the talent around him and the fact that they won a league last year. Yeah, I, I, I would pick them to win it. I would. And maybe there was some hesitation there because they're the new guys in the league. They did get a couple of first place votes in the poll. But yeah, I, I would have picked them because I think they have all the pieces to walk into America East and compete at the top of the league right away. 
I think Jared Grasso is very happy that they came in slotted in second. Frank. Yeah. I would have too. Um, and I think they are the favorite going into the season. It's not a typical Vermont team. Um, they don't have a cusp NBA player like we saw with Anthony Lamb a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a great fan base. Uh, it's a program with tradition. Um, but Bryant is right there. And I think you talk about, quite, you know, Charles Pride. Um, he's no stranger to the Peter Kiss role. I mean, last year in early February, a key part of their season is they're trying to make a regular season push. Kiss is out for a weekend. Hall Elijah's out for a weekend. And they go on the road at St. Francis, PA, where they had almost no success. Um, you know, for the, the, the time that they had been in the NEC, he drops 44 on a Thursday. Then they take a bus to Emmitsville, Emmitsburg, Maryland, and they take down the reigning conference champion, Mount St. Mary's Mountaineers, and he drops 32. He was national player of the week. Um, I don't have the box scores in front of me, but I can't remember too many turnovers. He rebounds bigger than his size. He's already used to that, you know, top of the scouting report type of player. And, and I think with his calm nature, and we see when we talk to him, you know, off the court, when we see them around practice, like nothing faces that guy. So it's like, that's the type of player you're getting a score and a dog that Peter kiss had, but you're not riding the crazy waves and the spikes and the valleys <laughs> that, that Peter kiss took you on. And it's great when you're atop the mountain with kiss, but then also when he's getting a technical and then he's close to getting a second and Jared Grasso has got to stand in between him and a ref, like, you know, you're just not going to have that with Charles pride. And I'm sure Jared Grasso and he had, he went on record last year by saying he takes Peter kiss 10 out of 10 times. I would too if I was a head coach, but there also is a calming there is a calming effect when you do have a guy like Charles Pride who brings all the intangibles like Kiss, but you know that he won't run himself out of a gym. So when you have that type of a leader and then you have the talent that they brought in via transfer portal that I'm sure Koch will get to right now. I mean, man, yeah, I, I think there's there's I would be shocked if they aren't in the America East championship game come March, knowing how Jared's teams progress. Could I see them finish third or fourth in the regular season? I could last year. The non-conference wasn't pretty. They lost some games. They shouldn't have, you know, maybe it cost them a spot to not be in the first four, but come February and March, you know, Jared has shown that his teams um, trend in the right direction. And um, even if they do finish third or fourth in the regular season, they have some hiccups playing some teams they haven't, you know, played in a while. Uh, I still expect them in the conference tournament to win a couple games and and have a chance to to go to the dance. Man, I, I'm you know you're you're going back to last year there. I'm gonna miss Peter Kiss, man. That that semi controlled <laughs> chaos every night. I mean, my God, just dude, talk about fun to watch. Holy smokes, Bill! Uh, I'll say I'll, I'll remember this forever. Uh, standing on the baseline, I think it was the quarterfinal game, and I'm in the corner. This is the first half, and Pete looks at at me and whoever was standing next to me with a camera and he looks at it and says get your camera ready oh right and they yes. ran that play where he cut baseline they bounced past to him and he dunked it i'll never forget that because it was just like the epitome of peter kiss and then he's showboating whatever and he's like i told you and he's oh my gosh like he he look he was a roller coaster but it was it was fun to watch it was a heck of a ride with peter kiss it was no, he, he's the kind of guy that if you're a head coach and you're looking to break through in college basketball, he, he's the kind of guy that 
if you get on your side and, and you can get him to play a certain way, he, he's going to lead you somewhere. Um, you know, and, and right now, if you look at Bryant, you know, Maury makes a good point. Charles Pride is, is the much more even keeled approach, uh, you know, and, and that should that should go through the rest of his team. I, I think his leadership is, um, you know, really valuable in that way. The, the fact that he's completely unflappable and, and so cool, um, you know, and you add on to the fact that he's a really good player. Uh, I mean, yeah. a really good player. You, you, you could make an argument. He's the best player in the state, um, you know, and that's no disrespect to Jared Bynum, who, who's a first team, all big East guy. Um, you know, that's no disrespect to, to what Ed Croswell could be or, or what anyone at URI or Brown could be, um, you know, but Charles Pride is on the short list for the Jerry West Award uh, preseason. That goes to the best shooting guard in the country. Uh, he's the only player in the Northeast named, uh, you know, no A-10 players, no Big East players on that list. Uh, you know, so that that gives you an idea of what kind of talent that guy has, uh, you know, and he's got some good company this year, uh, you know, because as Maury alluded to, some of the guys that, that Jared has been able to bring in through the transfer portal, uh, you know, you start with Earl Timberlake, a, a guy who, you know, began his career at Miami, then was at Memphis. Now he's here, uh, you know, somebody who had some NBA draft buzz coming out of high school in DMV. Um, Doug Eddard was was a star with St. Peter's last year in their surprise run of the Elite Eight. Um, you know, Antoine Walker, we know well from URI. Uh, he's going to play a big role for this team in the front court. Um, you know, someone like Kevon Kramer, who put up big numbers at Hofstra. Um, you know, there is a lot of moldable clay here for Jared. And, you know, I know he's alluded to his past at Iona and the fact that Tim Kloos recruited transfers frequently and, you know, that they were, uh, you know, sort of constantly molding rosters year over year. Um, you know, so he's comfortable with, with this sort of rebuild, uh, you know, but I, I just look at their talent on paper. And I think that if the product comes anywhere close to, you know, what they look like on paper, uh, you know, this certainly is going to be a really good basketball team going forward in, in uh, 2022-23. I'm fascinated to see what Timberlake is like with this team. I am. I mean, that when when that name popped up and he they said, oh, he's going to Bryant. I mean, there were people talking around here. Obviously, we know that PC and Ed Cooley had recruited this kid coming out of high school. Yeah. And he goes to Bryant. It's like, wow, they landed that kid. That's pretty darn good. You know, and the fact that they're bringing in, you know, the other guys that they do with the experience they have. I think Doug Eddard, you just I, I love the way the kid carries himself. You know, there's just a there's a genuine joy in the way that I, I think he shows up to to work every day. We haven't really seen him play here yet, um, but obviously being an NCAA tournament hero, he's reached that goal. Um, you know, and it, it was funny. Um, I was listening to some of the uh, the availability yesterday that you guys had, and um, you know, hearing my my partner Ian ask. Uh, Jared about the one shining moment video and showing the team, whatever. And hearing Jared's response to that, it was interesting to me because it's usually one of those, well, here's our goal. And so I'm going to show you what our goal is, whatever. Well, some of these guys have had some shining moments. A guy like Doug has had a shining moment. Yeah. They want to get back there and they want more. And, and it's, so it's not like, you know, they're reaching for larger goals you know, to build on what they've already had. And I think that's what's so interesting about this team is that they have that kind of talent where they can get back there and then some. And that's for for a program like Bryant that has built things up the past few years. You know, it's 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 pretty interesting that they have those bigger goals in mind already. And we haven't even played a game yet. 
Yeah, this is a roster that I'd expect to see in the CAA. Um, maybe, you know, the bottom of the middle tier in the A-10, um, you know, could go out and beat a team in the American Athletic Conference, um, you know, a bottom three, four team there. So uh, there is no doubt that, that there is enough talent on this roster, um, you know, when, when, you, when you put it all together um, to really do something special. Um, and then one player that I think is going to fly under the radar a little bit, you know, Earl Timberlake, Antoine Walker, and, and, and you've got Pride, and you've got uh, Edder, uh, the guard, Chauncey Hawkins from St. Francis, Brooklyn. I think he's going to be a really, really good piece, a fifth-year player, um, a guy that can, that can set Pride up, um, a guy that can uh, dish the ball out. Uh, I think people are going to really like him. He's a small bulldog. He's the type of player that, that Jared Grasso likes. Um, undersized, tough, gritty. Uh, and I think he's going to be a bit, a big piece to having this team gel, uh, at the right time. You know, and obviously other coaches have, have taken note of what Bryant has built because they won't schedule them. <laughs> and, uh, ah. Jared, Jared has been pretty, uh, you know, pretty vocal about that in the preseason. The, the fact that, uh, Bryant really struggled to get games here. Uh, you're going from the Northeast conference where you play 20 conference games to the America East, where you only play 18, that adds two to your non-conference schedule. They were going to have difficulty getting 11, in, in my mind, never mind 13. Uh, playing three non-D1s here, uh, they start off with Thomas College on Monday. Out of Waterville, Maine, Bill. Out of Waterville, Maine. They got they Ooh. got two two opponents from your past, Coity, uh, because they are playing Maine, Fort Kent. Fort Kent, too, that's right. Oh, uh, my on November goodness. 14. Uh, they also play Framingham State. In, in November, uh, you know, so those three poor, unfortunate souls uh, who picked up the call from Jared Grasso or Phil Martelli, um, you know, will take a small check to to come to Smithfield and, and get Look, founded. Bill, as long as they don't have to drive to Fort Kent, you're all good. As Fort yeah, Kent's that, coming to them. That's that a is, good thing. That is not going to be a home and home, I, I don't think. Uh, I'm going to talk know. about tough road trips. That would be a tough road trip. Yeah, that, that one is out there. Uh, I did I did a little main Fort Kent research when the schedule was announced, and, yeah, I, I wouldn't be going there uh, anytime Oof. soon. Um, you know, but you you look at what they've had to do to get games. They've, they've got a three-game Florida swing where they play Florida Atlantic, FIU, and then Detroit Mercy on a neutral court. Uh, they got Syracuse back on the schedule, which – after a couple of years ago when they nearly beat Syracuse in the season opener and, and Jared had some pointed comments after the game, I, I'm shocked that Jim Beheim scheduled them. I, I, I mean, I just did not see that coming. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think they'd ever speak again <laughs> after, after uh, some of the contentiousness a- after that game, um, you know, but you, you got some good tests here, you know, whether it's uh you know, the three-game road swing in Florida, Syracuse, obviously. You got Brown at home. That was a very competitive game last year in Providence. Uh, Cincinnati and, and Tulane will both be difficult games. Liberty will be a tough game on a neutral floor uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, you know, but I, I just think that, you know, generally, if if you look around the sport and, and you talk to coaches and you just see in their actions the fact that the teams don't really want to play these guys, uh, non-conference. I, I think that says it all about what they think Bryant can be and where they feel like this this program is going. Um, you know, I I think the the one major thing from this offseason that that might go under the radar, but but I don't think it should, is the fact they're able to retain Jared. Um, you know, generally when when you're in a smaller league like the NEC or the America East and 
you win like Bryant did last year, you lose the coach and and you start over. Um, you know, and I know Jared was in some discussions, uh, you know, or or was contacted by multiple programs. Um, you know, LaSalle was certainly interested, UMass was certainly interested. Um, you know, but ultimately Jared decided to sign a contract extension to stay at Bryant, uh, to continue to build what he's established here. Um, you know, he's looking at a new building in a couple of years, the, the athletics and convocation center on campus, um, you know, obviously in a new league this year in the America East, um, you know, so really interesting times for Brian. And, and I think really, you know, it's, it's nice to think that we could just be at the start of something here and not necessarily, you know, in the middle or, or close to the end. I, I think that, you know, it, it's it's a really good feeling to know that that uh, you know those guys are are on the up and 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 look like they're going to be able to stay there for a little while. Unique Jared's setup. Got... Go ahead, Coy. Yeah, no, just a unique setup with the convocation center and you know the fact that Jared can recruit who he wants to recruit, bring in the type of talent he wants to bring in, and the uniqueness of okay, you win the NEC last year, and now you have a new set of challenges in a new conference where. Again, you walk in with the talent you have and you can compete at the top of the league. Yeah, it's it's really unique. And I think Jared probably looked at some of the other opportunities that he was contacted with and said, I, I got a good here right now, so I'm in no rush. I can build this program and continue it on the upward trajectory here. Yeah, Jared knows himself really well. He knows his coaching style. He knows the types of players he needs that will um, play for him um, and can be coached by him. Uh, he knows the type of, um, you know, player that that needs to come in and, and be a winning type of player. Um, and he's had a track record of success, whether it be his short stint so far at Bryant or as an associate head coach at Iona and the, and the success he had under Tim Kloos. He knows that making a small jump to an A-10 program, you know, he's going to be fighting that same uphill battle that he just got over the last couple of years. Um, and he's, and I think he knows he's a, he's a Northeast guy, mid-Atlantic guy from New York city. I think he knows that, you know, Vermont made, has made such a powerful name in the last 10 years, 15 years, they've won an NCAA tournament game. They've been close other times. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and being the king of your Hill before you can make such a seismic leap. You know, I think if this is a big East job, if this is a power five job, I think, then it starts to get, you know, into a different conversation. That's different money. That's different lifestyle. That's a whole new ball of wax. But I think right now he goes, yeah, let me be one of the best teams in New England, regardless of conference, um, you know, make some extra money. I have a good identity already. I'm going to have a new arena. Uh, the community's behind us. Um, and then the only thing that suffers is you just can't get games. I mean, for their first home division one opponent, to be Brown in December is, is such a tribute to where this program was and what they can become, um, you know, to not have, to not have one division one team at home in November is just, is just mind boggling considering the close proximity of teams in new England and, and, and uh, the amount of colleges in, in such a small area. And poor Phil Martelli has a big bottle, I'm sure, of ibuprofen or Advil in his office thinking about trying to schedule these games and get contracts <laughs> signed and everything. Like, oh, I feel for him because it's just like, come on, just play us. It's not that bad. Just play us. Oh. 
Yeah, after availability earlier this week, Jared said, uh, you know, he wanted to pass along the message to PC and URI. He said, tell them I'll play them for free <laughs> on the road. So, Ed Cooley, Archie Miller, if you guys are listening to this, uh, give them a call, get them on the schedule for next year. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that um, your, your fans will be that thrilled, but go ahead and take the challenge and have them in to the AMP or uh, to the Ryan Center. Uh, you know, you you will have yourselves a whale of an opponent, uh, you know, coming in. Uh, you know, in terms of Bryant this year, I, I think I'm kind of with you guys. I, I feel like, you know, you you have that championship residue from last year. You, you have just enough guys who know what it takes, um, you know, the talent level being what it is. I think they can win this league in, in the first year. Um, you know, whether that's regular season or the conference tournament, I – I think they have the ability to do that. I, I think you guys are both right. I think there was hesitation there to pick them first because they are the new guys on the block. Um, you know, but I look at how they were playing at the end of last season, and I think that they would have been a major problem in in a lot of conferences, you know, not just the NEC. Um, you know, yes, they they got a major push in the tournament semifinal and, and were lucky to escape it. But what they did to Wagner in the championship game was illegal in like 20 states. I mean, they just slaughtered them. You know, you you don't see that very often in a conference title game, a a 30-point spread, um, you know, regardless of whether you're playing at home, neutral, whatever it is. uh, You know, that just doesn't happen. Blowouts on that stage just don't happen. Uh, And that says a lot about where they were as a program, their mentality, um, you know, how good their players were. And, and I think over the next five months, I, I certainly expect them to get back to or approach that level and, and really be a headache in America East. Yeah, and I am fascinated to see how the regular season matchups go with Vermont. I think that's going to be key. The fact that Bryant was able to get that game in its home gym, jazzed up, NEC championship, trying to get the, you know, the revenge from the year before when they didn't have fans in the stands and they had the COVID championship. It just, uh, it was the right mix. And so if you can get that game back in your gym uh, and get Vermont there, you know, because going to Vermont, I think it's so key because going to Vermont for an America East championship game, it's dangerous because that is a tough place to play. They get it in their home gym, you know, good luck. So I think those regular season matchups when they pop up, it's going to be key, but I, I can't wait to watch them because I think these are two really good basketball teams coached by good coaches. Um, it's going to be really, really fun. Yeah, I think Jared will feel like he left something on the table if they don't get back to dance this year again. Um, you know, I'm expecting them to be, dan- you know, NIT or NCAA. You know, yeah. I, I, I think two teams in, in our in our market make the, make the big dance, um, but um, – you know, if something happens there late in the season, something happens that was unforeseen, um, and they end up in the NIT, I think that's uh, I think that's fine as well. But um, yeah, man, they they are on the right track, and uh, it's going to be a blast of a season. The only thing I'm not looking forward to is a potential drive to Burlington in March for the conference <laughs> championship game because you hear Rhode Island, you hear Vermont, and it's like, oh yeah, it's not that far. Burlington is a trek. Uh-huh. And that is not the place that we need to be driving in late February, early March. I told Bill there's the potential, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the last regular season game for Bryant is at Maine. And I'm hoping that instead of having to make the Burlington drive 
for the Americas title game, I'm hoping to make the drive to go see some of my old friends in Orono, stop through Pat's Pizza, and celebrate after Bryant has clinched an America East regular season title. And then that way we can kind of, you know, put that to bed, come back, and then the America East road goes through Smithfield, Rhode Island. That's the hope, but we'll see. Yeah. Just congregate in, uh, just congregate in Smithfield there for the first week or two in March. And that's great. I mean, I think America East is, um, one of the first conferences to have a bid, I think, right. It's like that Saturday morning catch if I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah, they, they, they generally play like a, like an 11 AM or a noon game on ESPN. And, and it yeah. is usually at the end of the first championship week. I, I think that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, the Chase Athletic Center last year was was the Dunk Junior, and I expect it to be the same again uh, this year, late in the year. Yeah, anyone going to Burlington, check out Church Street. Awesome spot. Uh, you know, great time. And, and you know, not that long a drive to Montreal, which is one of my favorite cities. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly uh, some entertainment to be had in, in Montreal for everyone. Uh, you know, whether that's a little nightlife or 400-year-old uh, cathedrals, Uh you know, if you're a little more pure and, and chaste than uh, the three gentlemen on this podcast, uh, <laughs> not not to implicate either of you uh, in in anything uh, that you should feel guilty about. Um, so that that wraps up our first preview edition uh, here uh, on the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we are crowdsourcing a name. Uh, ultimately, we will have one, uh, <laughs> you know, but we are not in regular season form just yet. Uh, we will be we will be back uh, with additions on URI and Brown, uh, and also taking a look at the women's uh, state of affairs here in the state. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. Uh, our season preview editions. Motor on here uh, with the University of Rhode Island and Brown, uh, the men at at both uh, institutions. Uh, this is Bill Koch. Sports writer for the journal. I am joined by my usual co-conspirators. Uh, first, the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch Gordon. Maury, how are we living? Gotcha, living well. Ball's uh, going up in just a matter of hours. Uh, and being on this podcast means that the season is right around the corner. So looking forward to being with you and, uh, and Nick again. And the sports director at ABC6 and the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit. Coity, how are we living? Wonderful. Uh, glad to be talking some more hoops here and uh, two programs here that we'll be talking about that uh, interesting, interesting to see what direction they go here. Yeah, two sort of mystery teams here in my mind. We, we don't necessarily know what we might see out of these two. Uh, we'll start with you or I, uh, you know, obviously had a coaching change in the offseason and, and, you know, we'll begin at the top there, um, you know, moving on from David Cox after four years and, you know, bringing in arguably the the top coaching free agent on the market in, in Archie Miller, uh, you know, and I know, you know, you guys are on the road uh, with me in Buffalo when this happened last year during the NCAA tournament, we were following Providence, um, you know, and the fact that uh, URI offered a five-year deal to Archie Miller for $8.5 million, an unprecedented investment by the university, um, you know, a somewhat more concrete time frame on when they would finish a practice facility um you know the fact that the staff salary pool is, is so much higher than it has been previously uh this was an all-in move by mark parlange the, the president at uri uh by thor bjorn the athletic director at uri 
Um, you know, this was a real significant commitment to Archie Miller. And, you know, I think it was one made uh, in light of the fact that they're 16 and 28 in their last 44 A-10 games, whether that's regular season uh, or conference tournament. And, and this program should be better than that. Um, you know, and we've seen it better than that. Uh, in two years under Dan Hurley, his last two seasons with the Rams, they were 51 and 18. They were the bullies in the league. Um, you know, they were a couple plays away from a sweet 16 in, in that first NCAA appearance he had in 2017 in Sacramento. Um, you know, and I think there is a great hunger in Kingston to get back to those better times. And, and I think their actions this offseason showed that. Yeah, it was unprecedented. The investment that they put into this program, Bill, um, it was it was one of those things where we said we're talking about some of the coaching candidates uh, that could take over the program. And we said, well, yeah, sure. Archie Miller's on the list. If you're going to you know, go the distance and invest in the program that's right. the way that a guy like Archie Miller would expect. And they did. And that's a huge credit to the school. You know, you just talked about President Parlange, who's a big advocate when it comes to athletics. You can see it. He just he knows the significance of that kind of investment. Thor Bjorn had that kind of those kinds of tools at his disposal. Um, you could see the smile on his face the day that they introduced Archie and the standing ovation yeah. and everything that came along with it in the Welcome Center there in Kingston. I mean, it was uh, that was unprecedented. And I think they watched what it looked like in Providence in March, in February, in January. All the kids in the stands singing Taylor Swift. The dunk at the time is sold out. It's packed. It's loud. Providence is having this dream season. They're watching that and they're saying, oh boy, man, we can, we can get back there. We can do it if we invest in this program. And that's what they did. And so that's why I'm fascinated to see what happens here because they clearly have made the investment. They're going to have a practice facility, which has been something that has been talked about for so long with URI, and they're going to have that now. I mean, you have all the tools there now, and, and that's an exciting thing if you're the University of Rhode Island. And it's funny, walking out of the Ryan Center yesterday, just seeing that poster on the, on the side of the building and seeing the three sort of figureheads in athletics now, Jim Fleming, who it's just, I always look at it and it's so funny. It's like, he's looking at something off in the distance, but that's, you know, and Jim's like, yeah, that kind of caught me off guard, but whatever. I see Jim there. I see Archie Miller and I see Tammy Reese and I look at it and I say, they're, they're really setting themselves up here to have the kind of success that they want to have at the state's university. And that's really exciting. Yeah. How refreshing, like how freaking refreshing is it that they're going all in on athletics? I mean, you know, I've been here half a decade. You guys have been here much longer than me, but I've, I've seen them in terms of being in the CAA for football, Villanova, you know, being in that conference uh, and, and winning a national championship 10, 13 years ago, uh, have familiar with them in the A-10, coming to LaSalle, coming to St. Joe, uh, playing Temple. Like I, I've seen a lot of URI over the years. I haven't been, I haven't paid this close attention, but man, like URI was, if not one of the worst, like the worst, you know, team to come in and play in the A10 for for a while, right? They were laughing stock. They were they were bottom five, bottom six team year in and year out. And to know what they had a couple of years ago under Dan Hurley, to quickly move on from this past situation with David Cox. And to get right back on track, almost double down and, and go all in is impressive. 
um, is, is really impressive. And I think it's, um, and I think we're going to see brighter days ahead. Don't necessarily know how this season will go and we'll get into that, but um, man, just, you know, in terms of everything, like you guys laid it out, we don't need to uh, continue to continue to talk about it. Um, but yeah, they, they've got a lot of good things coming in their direction. Um, and when you spend money, usually you make money and uh, that's the goal for them. Yeah, it, it definitely a, a big sea change at, at URI, uh, you know, just in terms of approach and, and obviously, uh, you know, in terms of, of who's running that program now, uh, you know, David Cox was is, is a terrific guy. He's exactly the type of guy who you'd want leading your young men. Uh, it just didn't necessarily work out on the floor. And and now you've you've brought in a guy in Archie Miller who was a prolific winner at Dayton. Uh, you know, his six seasons there. Uh, were fantastic. They were the bullies in the league. Uh, he reached an elite eight with the Flyers. Um, you know, his his last four years, he was in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, they were the gold standard in the A-10 along with VCU. Uh, you know, those two programs were head and shoulders above, um, you know, and were the clear targets for everybody else. He goes to Indiana. He has four years in Bloomington. He gets a taste of the blue blood life. And it's a little different coaching there. Uh, you know, the spotlight's a little brighter. Um, you know, the recruiting is a little different. Uh, it's not necessarily as much about player development. You have to take five-star one-and-done guys like Romeo Langford, who, who's an in-state recruit, uh, who has to go to Indiana. Like, that's the type of guy you need to get. Um, but it's difficult to win with guys like that in college basketball because he's a one-and-done freshman. He's inefficient. He turns the ball over too much. And you have to give him the keys. And, and that was so opposite to what Archie's operation at Dayton was. It was player development and the collective and our culture. And, you know, the group is going to be so ferocious and tough and competitive. Um, you know, I, I think it was just a very different experience for him going to Indiana and coaching there for four years. He he would have had an NCAA team uh, in the COVID-shortened season in 2019-20. Uh, that's really the only time that that he got close to a major postseason breakthrough there. Um, you know, and I think he he took the last year, he worked for the field of 68, um, you know, which does great college basketball content digitally. Uh, Jeff Goodman and, and Rob Dowster have really uh, caught on to something there in, in terms of uh, the content they put out online. Um, and I think that gave him a chance to to step back, sort of hit the refresh button on his career, uh, you know, really plan out what he wanted his next step to be. Um, and I think he's found something at URI. He found an approach from Thor Bjorn. He found alignment there. Uh, it feels like he has shared goals with with the president and with the athletic director. And, you know, I know we hear coaches all the time use that word alignment and, and how important that is. And I think he feels like he he's found that here. Um, you know, how quickly it comes together on the court, who knows? Because you, you don't have a bunch returning here. Uh, you know, you're able to retain a handful of guys and, and bring in a host of newcomers in the transfer portal. They're picked in the bottom half of the A-10. Um, I don't think anyone looks at this and says, this is going to be an instant turnaround, one year or two years. Uh, you know, there is work to be done. Um, but what you hope to see this year, and, and I think you guys would agree with this, is you just want better habits. You want more discipline with the ball, uh, better team defensively, uh, you know, more connected team at both ends of the floor. Uh, you know, do a lot of the things that Hurley did his first two years here in terms of establishing that culture, and then you get more talented and your players are better, and all of a sudden it all comes out and, and you're a factor 
in March. I, I think this is a, you know, it's it's a critical year for for Miller to just establish who he's going to be and who they're going to be going forward. Well, and Bill, you and I were talking about this yesterday, um, just sort of the blueprint of, okay, how do you get back to where you want to get back to and build up the program? And I think the first thing is, as you just said, uh, establish the habits and build the culture. And I think you're already seeing that with just how, I think just how buttoned up, you know, Archie Miller wants his program to be, you know, his players need to show up here. They need to do this. They need to do that. This is what I expect of you. Here's your expectations. Um, You know, even with something like, you know, talking with the media, we, you know, full disclosure, we already have a schedule as to when they plan to be speaking to the media before and after games. I think that is no small thing. Because I think if you're planning that far ahead, it means here's what I'm laying out for you. Here's the map. This is what I want to do. And so I think we're already seeing evidence of that. Um, What I'll add to that is, I think it's important to have guys that, you know, are holdovers from your program here that know what the program can be like and can establish that culture. And so I think having a guy like a Malik Martin on this roster, it reminds me a little bit, Bill, of like a Xavier Munford, who was a good player for Dan Hurley to start. And you didn't necessarily think that you were going to be winning with Xavier Munford, but you knew a kid like that was a good character kid who was going to work hard, who was going to have some shiny moments on the court, but knew that his role was to help reestablish the culture. And so that in the coming years, guys like EC Matthews, Jared Terrell, Hassan Martin were going to help this program soar again. And I don't think that's a small thing. Uh, you know, the, I think the first year I was covering the program, Bill, they were still trying to build things up under Hurley. And then it was that next year we were talking about it yesterday, that win over Nebraska at home was that moment where it was like, oh, OK, these guys have something. They're seeing what success can be like and they can build off of that. I don't think you're going to see a Nebraska type win this year. I think that's probably going to come next year or maybe even the season following. And when they hit that, and when they turn that corner, they know that they're going to be going in the direction where they want to go with this program. But I think it starts this year with, as you said, building the culture again. Yeah, there's something to be said about hiring, you know, an up and coming coach, an established coach. But there's also something to be said when you hire a coach who um, knows his last stop didn't go the way that he had hoped. Right. He's much more the Dayton Archie Miller than he is the Indiana Archie Miller. And when you have a chip on your shoulder of that magnitude with a year off, you can bounce ideas off of a phenomenal head coach in Sean Miller, um, who, who just so happens to be his brother. Uh, his dad, legendary head coach, um, you know, in the in the Pittsburgh suburbs. You know, you, you have a recipe for success right there, and it starts at the top. Um, and that was what was interesting yesterday when we spoke to him. Um, once we transitioned away from the Kenny Johnson stuff and we start talking about the season, is like, what does he want his team to hang its hat on early in the season? Like, they're going to miss shots. They're not as talented. This roster, you know, will look completely different in two or three years. You know, what are the things that travel from year one to year two to year three, regardless of talent? And, and you know, the two things he mentioned was controlling the glass 
and, you know, making sure, you know, they don't shoot themselves in the foot, you know, you know, making sure they don't, they don't have turnovers. And um, I think it's really important year one, year two of a rebuild to make sure that you, you know, try your best to not lose games as opposed to go out and try to win them. If you can handle your business and you can be buttoned up on the court, um, you'll find yourself in those games. And then by being fundamentally sound and finding yourself tied down by one possession, up by one possession at the under eight of a second half media timeout at the under four of a media timeout, then the experience you gain in tight situations will then pay off down the line. Once you get to a conference tournament, okay, we've been here. Like if you're process driven, those small wins throughout the season, even if it's not wins on a, on a box score will pay off down the line. Um, and I expect to see at the end of this season, something similar to what we saw in David Cox's first year as the head coach at, at URI. I don't think they'll make a run to the conference semifinals. They could, you never know what could happen. I think it's more of look at what happened that first year. They were five and nine, um, you know, and underperforming with the talent that they had coming off of Dan Hurley, but they won those four to end the season. They finished 500. Maybe this year, this URI team doesn't finish 500, but if they finish eight and 10 or seven and 11, they were three and 11, and then they win four in a row. All right, they're, they're trending closer to that 500 team that a lot of people expect them to be in that first or second year. Um, I think if you have those fundamentals early, then we can see the type of run the end of February and March you know, a glimpse into the future, like Coit said, you know, you put it together against Nebraska, maybe you put it together for a couple of weeks there at the end of February, early March, you ride some momentum into, into a conference tournament and you never know what can happen, but being process driven, making sure you take care of your fundamentals is so important to lay the foundation this season, next season going forward. Um, and I think also it's important that, that Archie went out and he didn't just get a senior in the transfer portal, a guy that'll be here for one year, two years. He went into the transfer portal. He continued to recruit high school guys that will be here for two, three, four, you know, uh, maybe five years, depending on what happens, you know, medically or, or injury wise. These are going to be pieces that will be here for a while that hopefully can turn it from, you know, year one of a rebuild to year four. You're competing for an NCAA tournament. Yeah, you bring in a preseason all-conference guy in Brian Freeman. He was a transfer from George Washington. He was an all-rookie player in the Atlantic 10 last year. Uh, it sounds like he's going to have the keys at the point. Um, you know, guy who could score it a little bit, who was a good playmaker, uh, you know, who I thought was was probably the best player on the floor in the blue-white scrimmage. Um, you know, and then from there, you returning guys, whether it's Malik Martin, Ish Leggett, uh, Jalen Carey, you're, you're not really sure – how they're going to look from the standpoint that I think this team is going to play so differently and their roles are going to be completely different. Um, you know, style of play is going to be completely different. So I don't necessarily know if, if what we've seen from them before is necessarily what we'll see from them this year. I, I think they're going to be used differently and, um, you know, could draw out different skill sets in them. I, I do know that you know, if you're going to try to play with more pace, someone like Jalen Carey, that's perfect for him, uh, you know, because he's very athletic, can get out and run. Um, isn't necessarily the type of guy who you want to play a half court game with, you know, possession by possession, his, his strengths or his athleticism, his ability to finish in traffic. Um, you know, the fact that he's able to handle the ball in the open floor and get to the rim, that's his game. It's not necessarily, 
you know, trying to pick apart a defense in, in a half court set and, uh, you know, try to penetrate, um, you know, into a, a pack of wolves in there in the paint. That's not necessarily his game. Um, you know, so somebody like that could take a jump this year. Uh, you know, the, the other guys they brought in, uh, you know, guys who flashed in, in the, uh, you know, in that sort of opening outing at the Ryan Center. Brandon Weston was really good in the second half transfer from Seton Hall. Uh, Alex Chiku, big man, transfer from Alabama. He was a top 100 recruit. Uh, you could see he's got SEC athleticism. Um, you know, but how they necessarily bring it all together and and where they ultimately end up, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think these guys have a pretty wide variance uh, from the standpoint that, you know, you could tell me they could finish fifth or sixth in the league. You, you could also tell me that they'll finish 10th in the league. I, I wouldn't be shocked by either one. Um, you know, mainly from the standpoint that I, I just think they've got a lot of work to do in terms of finding out who they are and and finding some continuity. Uh, you know, and I think that's what you're going to see early on in the schedule. Uh, you know, they open with Quinnipiac. Maury, go ahead. The Bobcats. Give, give, us, give us a little. <laughs> I can't say I can't say I've watched too many games. I knew Quinnipiac like the back of my hand for about four or five years. I can't say I've watched too much of them, uh, you know, over the last four or five since I've been gone. It's just not the way that Baker Dunleavy, uh, I'm sure, expected it to go. But, you know, they've got a decent squad this year. And um, with what happened to Steve Massiello in Manhattan, you know, preseason poll, they find themselves, you know, a top two or three team. You'll be nonpartisan that night, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, uh, not at all. That. That, <laughs> that opening night at the Riot Center. Um, you know, some some interesting home games to start. Uh, you know, obviously, Quinnipiac, Texas State, Stony Brook, th- those are supposed to be games that you would think if URI was was up and running at full speed that they would win. Um, you know, Archie Miller in, in his availability earlier this week, you know, pretty much said, look, we're not taking Quinnipiac or anybody else for granted, uh, you know, because we have no idea who we are or how we're going to play. Um, you know, this is all new for all of us. Uh, they're going to have a good test at the Cayman Islands, obviously. Uh, you start with Kansas State. You either play Nevada or Tulane, I think, the second game. Um, you know, those are good, solid mid-major teams, um, you know, and you're guaranteed three games there. Uh, you know, and then I, I think you get into a really tricky part of the schedule where you got Boston College away, Providence at home, Brown at home. Um, you know, that could be a, a, a testing stretch as you get into December um, you know, that's sort of the the part of the year where, you know, that newness is worn away. You know, maybe that initial excitement is worn away. Uh, you know, maybe you've dropped a couple games and, and the fans look at it and say, ooh, you know, this this could be a little bit of a long haul here. Um, you know, or you take it on the flip side. It's an opportunity for you uh, if you're able to beat Providence at home. You have one of those Nebraska moments where it's like, OK, here's a key point. Here's something to build on. You know, we put this in the bank in in terms of memory and experience. And, you know, if we're in uh, a difficult game in the conference in January or February, we can go back and say, hey, look, we've been in one of these spots before and we beat an NCAA team at home in December. Um, You know, that that was part of, you know, us building to to where we want to be. You know, so I I look at these guys and I, I don't necessarily know what to think from an expectation standpoint, I, I do know that, um, you know, they are taking the long view here and and that they don't necessarily expect this to be, uh, you know, the quickest turn. And, and I'm perfectly okay with that. And I would imagine that, uh, 
you know, the fans, if if they're able to, you know, sort of have the proper perspective on this, I, I think they'd be looking at it the same way. I think this is fun. Building a program up is is it's it's exciting, especially when you see the kind of investment that the schools put into this. Enjoy it, you know, because you're going to look at this and we're going to talk about these years and say like, OK, well, this was this is what happened in the first year under Archie Miller. And then when they have the kind of success that they want to have and get back to March and compete and compete for eight, 10 titles and whatnot, you're going to look at this and say, like, you know, this is what we were talking about. Remember when they did this? Remember when they did that? I, I for me, I, I enjoy the, the team building aspect of things, not just in college basketball, but in any sport. I think it's it's cool to watch. It's fun. It's fun to see that kind of development. We watched it for a couple of years in Smithfield with Bryant and how they built up that program. And it led to, you know, I still talk about, you know, some of the nights where Jared Grasso is looking over the box score of a 108-105 game against Sacred Heart, you know, when they're winning however many games, four or five games in the NEC, but he's looking at the box score and what I like. And he's and he's upset that this wasn't, you know, corrected and this didn't go to Peter Kiss. And that what well, that's fun. And it's funny to talk about now because a couple of years down the road, they get to the NCAA tournament. They win the NEC. They build it up. And now we're talking about them as a power in America East and a perennial in March. And so I think this aspect is fun to see that kind of development, um, you know, and I'm fascinated to see where it goes. And so I guess I would just preach to, to URI fans, uh, you know. Enjoy it. Have some fun. See where it goes. You know, I think be excited about some of the, the the prospects of some of the players that that Archie has brought in here. And you know, I think a couple of years here down the line, when they're competing again, being a perennial in the A10, you're going to look back at this and say, like, yeah, this was it was interesting to see where it started and now where it's going. It's a very rational, reasonable take. You have no business talking to fans <laughs> or being a fan or anything else. Who who are you and what are you doing? I, I know. Mean, really, nobody nobody wants to hear that. I know. But it's fun. Building no. teams is fun. Building programs is fun. It's great. Maury, put him in his place. Give it give us give us a little flame <laughs> here, will you? I mean, please. Come on. Um a little devil's advocate. <laughs> yes. Sure. Building give programs us- aren't fun. I think they're rewarding. I don't yeah. know if I would necessarily use the word fun. Um, I'm not looking forward to going to watch a team that will probably finish in the middle to the bottom half of the league. You know, I'd much rather watch the Fats Russell freshman year EC Matthews led team that just rolls everybody. And, you know, you're going to be in the dance, but no, you have to, you have to look at a glass half full. That's who uh, Mr. Nick Coit is. And um, it's a great way to be in life. So yes, if you can take the lumps in stride, then, you know, then you can find some, um, you can find, you know, some good moments throughout what will no doubtably, no doubtably be a, um, an up and down season, um, but one that we all expect. And I think, you know, when you go in with that and you set the bar, you know, you, don't, you set the bar low, you don't set it too high, then, you know, the only thing you can be is, you know, surprised, pleasantly surprised if they achieve, expect, if they, um, you know, exceed expectations. Well, you just mentioned the name Fats Russell. I think back to that freshman year Providence game at the Ryan Center when Fats goes off and we say, ooh, who is this kid? And it was all part of that road to where they wanted to go. And that's part of my glass half full 
take here on building a program. You know, I'm I'm proud of you guys. I need to hang out with you guys more. I mean, this, this, this is wonderful perspective. I need this sort of thing in my life as a as a horrible cynic. Uh, you know, someone who sees doom around every corner. I I really, you know, I I got to hang out with you two a, a little more. That's that's for certain. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the wonderful thing about doing the podcast. I, I get to see your smiling faces here on Zoom, and uh, you know, college basketball being what it is, I get to see you out in gyms. It's it's a beautiful thing. Um, I missed you both the other night uh, at Brown's preseason uh, exhibition against New Haven. I, I was unable to make that one. Uh, the Bears making their debut with a win uh, over a team that's picked to win their league in Division II. Um, you know, Brown with a bit of a struggle there. New Haven's obviously a pretty good team. Uh, there's not a huge separation there. Uh, and so you wonder, you know, that's our, our first sort of window into Mike Martin's group this year. Um, you know, they're picked in the bottom half of the Ivy League, I think sixth. Uh, out of eight in the preseason poll. Uh, and this is a transition year for them in terms of if you look at their roster, you take away two cornerstones like Tamanon Cho and, and Jalen Ganey, um, you know, two guys who who have been part of the fabric there for for so long. Uh, you know, Tamanong's one of the best players in Brown history, certainly in recent history. Uh, you know, Jalen Ganey had elite ceiling, defensive player of the year in the Ivy League, uh, you know, a, a game changer at the rim, um, you know, and when you are an Ivy League program and you're not necessarily as active in the transfer portal or, or the JUCO ranks as, as other folks might be, uh, you sort of build your team in a much more organic way, uh, you know, over a period of years. When you lose two cornerstone players like that, it is difficult to overcome their absence, uh, whether it's in one or two years. And, and it takes recruiting and it takes player development. And, and you could see Brown in my mind anyway, being a very different team this year, a smaller, faster, um, you know, more up-tempo team that is forced to play with more pace, uh, you know, that is forced to use four guards at times. Um, you know, your best players on this team are probably in the backcourt. And, and I think, you know, Mike Martin is going to have to adjust here, uh, you know, going into 2022-23 to get the best out of this group. Yeah, interesting. It's an interesting flip to where they were a year ago. Um, Mike will tell you that they did not have the kind of season that they wanted to have last year with the talent that you just mentioned with, with Ticho and with Jalen Ganey, who were great young men to boot, uh, great guys to have leading your program. But really on paper, they looked at that team and they said, we should be in the top four in the Ivy. We should be playing in the Ivy tournament. And things didn't go and didn't mold together the way they wanted. And so, yes, disappointing, but, you know, you move forward here. And you're right. They have a lot of talent at guard, bringing back a guy like Keno Lilly. Um, you know, I certainly he's a guy that is is going to score. Um, and I think that Mike will tell you this year that, uh, you know, the the offense, I think, is is going to come along. I, I think they're going to be able to score with the kind of guard talent that they have. Um, the interesting thing will be how do they play defensively, um, especially with, you know, the guys that left in the front court. Now you're looking at, you know, Nana Owosu-Nane, uh, who I think is going to be talented for you, um, you know, in his role. But, you know, what other size can they put on the floor and how will that match up and compete in terms of some of the guys that you're going to see in the Ivy League? Because the Ivy League's no slouch. And I think Princeton is going to bring back some of the size that they bring back and some of the talent they bring back. Um, you know, so I, I, I wonder where they'll go. But um you know, certainly they have some talent in the backcourt. 
and they're going to score. Uh, I think you saw it with the New Haven game the other night. Shots were falling. There's going to be nights that that's going to happen, but I think they were getting the kind of looks that they want. Um, and I think there's going to be guys that'll step forward offensively every night. To me, the key will be, you know, how far along can they come defensively? Um, you know, Mike and his coaching staff, I'm sure that's going to be an ongoing process. Um, but they certainly have a great coaching staff when it comes to guys that know how to play on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, Bill and I were talking about this. If you put, you know, the, the head coach, and the top assistants, if you put them together and they had a three-on-three tournament in this state, um, the kind of talent that they have there, I think they could match up with anybody when you're talking about Mike Martin, TJ Sorrentine, and Tyson Wheeler. Those are guys that know the game, and they were pretty good players. So you had a three-on-three tournament with all the coaches. They might win it. They might get into the Ivy League playoffs if those three can slip on a jersey. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I – before we get in, before I get into Brown, let me jump on the back of Ed Cooley because that's definitely not a bad thing to do. Uh, at the Coaches versus Cancer Breakfast tip-off last week, uh, or I shouldn't say last week, I don't know when this pot will drop, but it was October 29th, I believe, is, was the date. The last week. Um, 28th, whatever it was. Um, Ed Cooley goes, can we get all eight Ivy League teams into the playoff? Like, it's about time that the Ivy League – catches up with with where we're at in college basketball. Usually all of the teams make the conference tournament and they have a chance to play for a bid. I think a team like last year with Brown, sure, they might have underachieved in the regular season. If that team gets a a second life in March to make a run, you know, they were as talented on paper as any team in the league last year. And the amount of um, gut-wrenching losses that, that, that they suffered, I think could have helped them out, you know, at the end of the season last year, if they have a chance, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. The season's over. The talent has departed. And Mike Martin's got a, a new challenge this year ahead um, that will be much tougher um, in terms of results in the win-loss column um, and also getting to an Ivy League playoff, which they haven't done yet. Uh, to be a top-four team in the league is tough. Um, yes, defensively, there's a lot of question marks. I look even offensively, um, you know, they might pop a couple games, but I think it could be a real struggle for, for long stretches. Um, I think Dan Friday is a, is a vital piece for them. Um, Keno Lilly thrust into a number one role right away as a sophomore. I think that's a lot to handle. Um, Owusu Anane popped at North Carolina last year with a 20 and eight performance. I think he's got potential it's still really early. I could see him going through some struggles of, you know, two fouls by the first media timeout, and he's sitting on the bench for almost the rest of the first half, and Brown's playing a 6-6 undersized, you know, Kalu, Anya, or someone like that at the five, you know, for a long stretch that, that they get behind the ball and they just can't, they just can't you, know, you know, get back on their feet. Uh, I think with Friday, he's got such a unique body in the Ivy League where you're 6'4", 225. You can play him as a small ball four. I think you can put him in certain sets where he can back guys down in the paint because, you know, some smaller Ivy League guards like Akimo Ferrari or like other guys, Azar Swain or other guys like we've seen around the league, you know, necessarily won't, you know, um, match up well against that down in the post. I think if he can, you know, shoot a respectable mid-range jump shot, three-point ball, you know, that will help them. You know what you're going to get from Paxson Wojcik. 
Um, and then there's a lot of other question marks. I think Friday's sort of that piece where if he can explode into a 12 and seven a night, um, you know, 80% from the line type of guy, then I think you have something to work with. Then I think you have a clear cut number two, three. And I think then that in turn frees up Lily a little bit more to do what he did last year, which is obviously score the ball. He's a, he's a smooth player. Um, but it was nice when you have Pax and Lozier to your left and you have Tamaning Cho to your right, you have Jalen Ganey down low. Um, you know, it's easy to sort of be lost in the scouting report. And when you're the th- third or fourth option, you can take advantage of open shots. Um, I just think it, it might be another, you know, long season for Brown. The one thing is, though, they play hard. They play smart. Um, and, and you know that Mike Martin and TJ Sorrentine will always put out a competitive product on the, on the floor. And I should add that they've got some sweet jerseys. They might have, uh, you know, uh, they might have the best threads in the state. I know URI did a little rebranding PC's got new threads. Um, but boy, those whites with the, with the, the red and the Brown trimming, those are, those are fresh. I think Brown nailed the rebranding. I think they really did. I, I love the football helmets that they have with Indomitable on the side, I think are so weak. I, I, they, they nailed it with the rebrand. It's more modern. And yeah, with the basketball uniform, seeing them the other night, it's just the, the, the new lettering, it pops. I'm so with you on that. Yeah, we're only going to see the home jerseys once in December. One Division One home game uh, at home in December. That's against New Hampshire. Otherwise, Brown has a pretty rugged schedule here to start off, uh, you know, opener at Vermont. That's going to be a tough game, obviously. Um, you know, they have a road trip to Loyola, uh, Maryland in November. Uh, three straight at home with Stony Brook, UMass Lowell, and Maine. And then you're away. Uh, you know, Bryant is is sort of a pseudo home game. You're, you're going to Smithfield. It's not that long a trip. URI, another pseudo home game. Uh, you know, you're playing at the Ryan Center. Not that long a trip. Uh, but you mix in Central Connecticut, Hartford, Michigan State, Northwestern all by the new year. Um, you know, so they will certainly be tested uh, before Ivy League play starts. Um, you know, Mike Martin typically, uh, you know, likes to schedule a game in the Chicago area. He, he has a fair amount of alumni there. Uh, it's good for recruiting. Obviously, Michigan State, Paxson Wojcik's father, Doug, is on the staff there with Tom Izzo. Uh, you know, so that'll be a nice moment for him, certainly, uh, you know, going to East Lansing and, and having a real test against Sparty. Um, you know, I look at Brown and I think, you know, who will step up and be Keno Lilly's running mate? Uh, there, there are, they're accepting nominations right now. Uh, you know, whether or not it's, it's Dan Friday, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, someone like Paxson Wojcik or Aaron Cooley, um, you know, can earn them or Perry Cohen can earn themselves that sort of every night role and be a double digit scorer and, and be a guy who's consistent going forward. Uh, you know, I don't think Mike Martin is at the point where, uh, you know, he he really can play favorites here. Um, you know, I think he's got to reward production uh, on this roster. And, you know, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, which guys are, are able to give that to him on a nightly basis. I, I think you feel good about Lily. You feel good about Owusu Anane. Um, You know, those guys are certainly going to be starters. I, I know they really like Friday and they feel like he's healthy after offseason shoulder surgery. Um, you know, but beyond that, I think there are roles to be had here. Um, you know, like I said at the top, I, I think this is a team in a bit of transition, um, you know, and one that, you know, everyone's going to look at and say they're going to finish in the bottom half of the Ivy League. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be incumbent upon them to to sort of prove everybody wrong. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think Maury made a great point about, you know, there's going to be nights where Nana picks up two fouls. Who's going to be behind him? How are they going to fill that role? And a guy like a, a guy like a Malachi Nadur on this roster, I, I think there could be a role to be had there, you know, behind Nana in terms of, you know, a guy that can, you know, play on the floor with some size and, and step right in on nights like that. Um, I know they're certainly high on the freshman Kaluanya. Um, you know, is that a guy that's going to step forward? As you mentioned, Bill, that could be a running mate for, for Kino Lilly. Um, that's another guy that has size that can be on the floor on those sorts of nights too, where Nana's picking up, you know, some early fouls. So, you know, we'll see. I, there's roles to be had is the point here. Um, and so, you know, we'll see who steps forward, but, you know, interested to see how it plays out. Maury, what do you got? What do you got for the Bears? What do I have for the Bears? Um, I like them to win five games in the Ivy League this year. Um, five or six, I think, would be um, a success. Um, it, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of question marks. I really, I really don't know how the year is going to play out. Um, you know, I think they could pop in some games. Um, and I think what helps them this year is like last year, they were on the road for what five, five of their first six in the league or six of their first seven, whatever it was this year, it's the complete opposite this year. They're at home for most of the, for most of their slate before they hit the road, the second half of the season for many of their games, um, you know, Koch, if you want to pull up the, the exact number, but I think that helps a young and experienced team um, with a lot of moving pieces. Um, I, I just don't know. Um, I look forward to going on Friday and Saturday nights. I think Ivy League basketball is uh, is still tremendous, and um, you you know the, the talent in that league is still you know second to none. When you're looking at you know mid majors across the country, what Yale has done, what Princeton you know has done, uh, what Penn can do, uh, and Harvard especially. So um, you know I think if they can can be a competitive group, you're five and nine, six and eight. I think I think you take that type of a season. Yeah, five of their first six at home. You you are correct. Uh, Ken Palm has them 12 and 15, six and eight. So you were right there on that as well. Uh, yeah. Maury, dialed in, folks, here. Dialed <laughs> in in our second of uh, three season previews. We will be back uh, with a, a quick whip around to the women's scene in, in the state. Uh, you know, there are some interesting storylines there as well. Uh, you know, so we will take a look at the – Four women's programs in the state, uh, you know, in our third uh, of three season preview editions here on the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you, as always. Thanks, bud. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. Uh, as we continue on with our season preview editions here on the pod, uh, we're going to take a look at the women's programs in the state here. Uh, you know, over the next few minutes or so, uh, going to hit all four Division One programs in the state. I'm joined by my two co-conspirators, as usual, uh, you know, from WPRI and Fox Providence, the sports director there, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we living? Let's go, college basketball. Here we yes. go. We're, uh, yes. we're right around. We are right around the corner. That's the kind of energy we need on Friday morning. a boy. Way to come out of blocks. Love it. Love it. Um, and also... The sports director at ABC Six, the weekend co-host of Cordishian Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coit, how are we living? 
I have a microphone uh, set up with my computer in front of me, so I don't want to yell too loud. It might, you know, overmodulate here, but let's go. (laughs) I'll lean back. We we were on Zoom. Coit just leaned back on his couch. He, He gave it his best. New England Patriots, let's go. Uh, he kept it clean for you, podcast listeners. There's occasionally another word in there that Julian Edelman likes to use. We'll we'll keep that out of the pod, uh, you know, for our for our younger and older audiences. LG, not LFG. Yes, there you go. yes, LG, please. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we yeah, I think I think for both of you, your excitement level is appropriate because women's basketball in the state. I can't remember the last time we had a women's team in the NCAA tournament. I, I think it's been over 20 years. Um, you know, I, I couldn't go back specifically and tell you who or when they made it. I think it might have been the University of Rhode Island in 1996. Um, but we are at a point now where the Rams specifically, um, you know, were a couple wins away from being in March Madness last year. Um, Bryant played in a conference championship game in the Northeast Conference last year, upset their way. Uh, to a conference title game and, and ultimately lost to Mount St. Mary's. Um, but they were 40 minutes away from being in the dance. Um, you know, and I think it's an exciting time uh, on the women's side. And I, I think that, you know, we have some storylines here that that are worth picking up on. Um, you know, and I would start with, with what Tammy Reese has done in Kingston, the fact they were able to retain her after making a push uh, at the Atlantic season, regular season title last year. Um, you know, the fact that they're able to sign her to an, a 10-year extension, unprecedented commitment. Uh, you know, we said that about the men's program in an earlier edition of the podcast with Archie Miller. Uh, Thor Bjorn and, and Mark Harlange being able to get it done uh, and keep such a dynamic figurehead in Tammy Reese in Kingston. It, it, it allows you to dream a little bit about what might be possible there, just how much is still untapped there. Um, the energy that she's been able to generate in her short time in Kingston. Um, I haven't seen much else like it. She, she's a very unique figure. Yeah, she is. Um, and again, the investment that the university is making in their programs when it comes to football, men's basketball, and now women's basketball, um, it's huge. And if you're going to build a consistent winner as a, as a women's program, you need a figurehead that has the kind of energy that Tammy Reese has. Um, and she said all the all the things that you you believe and you want to hear from from Coach Reese when it comes to building a program when she signed that contract extension. You know, she talked about being a, a program that gets into the community, that gets people excited about the women's basketball program, that gets kids excited about it with their camps and says, you know, these girls that are, you know, up and coming in the state, I want to go play for Tammy Reese and I want to go play at the state's university because it's exciting to watch. It's exciting to go to these games. It's exciting to, to see the kind of energy and the kind of excitement that you have around the program like Tammy has. Um, and I think she's putting all the pieces together. You know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, my experience uh, covering the, the women's basketball program uh, up at Maine in the early stages of building up that program. I talk about it a lot, but I thought that I thought that that Richard Barron, when he first went up there, uh, really built, you know, the right way. Um, you know, and Amy Vashon has has, uh, you know, built on that and and kept that program as a consistent winner up there. And the reason being is they they started out right. And, you know, it just there's the, there's reminders there. There's hints there in terms of recruiting. 
you know, they go international and they get international talent to come to New England and play, you know, for these programs. I think that was a, a key for Maine up there. And then they would find a, a great player in the States or two. Um, you know, when I was first up there, it was a girl who actually was, I think was just put in the main hall of fame up there in Liz Wood. Um, you know, she was a consistent uh, player that was an all league player for them in America East. Um, and then I always am reminded of the first summer that I was up in Maine, Richard Barron had a giant lobster dinner on his front lawn mm. for boosters and for people that were interested in the program. He literally said, come over. We got a bunch of lobsters, which in Maine is a big deal because it's very good. Um, but the, the more important point was people that wanted to get excited about the program again, they showed up and they said, hmm, I like what this guy is talking about. I like how he's trying to build up this program. And a few years down the line, they build it up. They win America East. They're always competing in that conference. And so that kind of energy, that kind of getting in the community, that kind of building interest, I think you're seeing some of that with Tammy Reese and you saw it on the court last year in the fact that they were challenging at the top of the Atlantic 10. And again, she's bringing in, you know, players from, she brings in two transfers this year in Magasa and in Squire that, you know, I think both of those players can again, build you toward success on the floor. And so, you know, I think at the time I was up in Maine, the transfer portal wasn't as big of a deal 10 years ago. Now you can go into the transfer portal and get an Emma Squires and say, let's keep going, you know, and I think you have that kind of energy around the program from Timmy Reese. Well, they, they have hit on the international scene. Obviously, they got the French Revolution going on in, in Kingston. Yep. Um, you know, critical hire was was Adni Amadou, who, who Tammy took with her from Syracuse. Uh, you're able to retain Megan Shoniker, who who is an alum of the program. You make her an associate head coach. She takes a certain level of pride uh, in winning in Kingston. I, I think you know, having a strong staff, critically important. And, and now you see they are turning their recruiting a bit stateside a little more, and they're having more success with higher value targets from players, uh, you know, in New England, in the States. They have a really good class coming in for 23-24 uh, with three commitments already. And, and you know, a couple of those players, I'm sure after signing day, Tammy would love to talk about because she has a couple of really talented guards in, in that group. Uh, you know, Coit, obviously you have significant background with women's basketball in Maine. Maury has connections to it with Quinnipiac making a Sweet 16 run at one point, which I know he covered pretty closely. And also, for folks who don't know, his lovely fiance Sierra, is UConn women's season ticket holder. Her family has been for a long time. So you have insight into the Goliath, one of the Goliaths in the program, uh, you know, one of the Goliaths in that space. Um, so I wonder just like from those two looks, you know, you've seen it at your alma mater, you've seen it with the Huskies, just how are you able to, you know, maybe build and establish something that is worthwhile in, in women's basketball? What is the commonality between those? And do you see, you know, any of those traits at, at any of the programs here? Yeah, I, I, for sure. I see it. Uh, similar to what Quit was saying, you know, about you, Maine. Um, Quinnipiac was, was building when I was there as an undergrad. Um, they had just moved from the NEC to the Mac and the big team in the Mac at the time was Marist. Marist had a sweet 16 appearance under Brian Georges in the mid two thousands. And it was, you know, how can this team compete at the top of the league and, you know, year in and year out, they would take, you know, women from overseas and, you know, it's a Paula Stroutmane, um, whose sister, uh, Dingna actually played for Tammy Reese at Syracuse. Mm. Um, 
It's any Dell Thornton who was from Ireland and, and became an all conference player. You know, these were pieces that they brought over, you know, early in that uh, time when they were building to then have it culminate in, I believe it was five straight Metro Atlantic athletic conference championship game appearances. Um, and a sweet 16 when they knocked off Miami and Marquette. Um, and both of those teams have women in the WNBA right now. Right. Um, so good. no, I see, I see Tammy Reese's program on the same trajectory. And I would say, you know, last year, Tammy Reese's squad deserved more attention than the men's program. And I wouldn't go as far as saying they deserve more than Archie Miller's program this year, but they're in year. What is this year four for her? I think that's right. It's four. Okay. So it's four. This is what we expect the men to be like in year four. You know, you expect the men to be up and down. Well, the women are a well-oiled machine now. So if you're putting in time for the men's program, you need to give time to the women's program as well. Um, because what Tammy Reese has done uh, ha- has been uh, has been really impressive. The way that they've scheduled, they've, in- they've improved their out-of-conference scheduling as well. You play a Buffalo team. Um, you play Maine, you play Hartford. These are, these are good programs that have been to the NCAA tournament, have won games uh, before, and, um, you know, looking forward to following them this year. Yeah, a, a great story going on there in Kingston. And, and obviously, you, it all starts with sort of similar to what we said with Bryant and Jared Grasso. You're able to retain the coach. And, and you know, certainly there was some interest there in Tammy. Syracuse had a job opening. She was on staff there previously before she was hired away to URI. Uh, you know, that was certainly a place that, that you were concerned about. Uh, her alma mater at Virginia had a job opening. And and I know, you know, for a fact, and she alluded to it in a press conference when she signed her extension, there was contact there. She was always going to take at least a phone call from there. Um, you know, and ultimately the Cavaliers decided to go in a different direction. But, you know, when you're able to retain someone who is building something and, and they get it to a certain point, that that is no small thing, um, you know, and certainly... Uh, something to watch going forward. Uh, you know, you look at the other programs in the state, uh, you know, Bryant, you're looking at Bryant going to the, going to the America East off a conference championship appearance um, in the NEC. Uh, Mary Burke has been there for more than three decades, um, you know, and she's somebody who, who knows how to win, frankly. Uh, I mean, she did it in Division II uh, while Bryant was there in the Northeast 10. That was a very strong league. Um, you know, one of the Connecticut schools won a national championship while they were in that league. Um, you know, Kate Lynch, the former LaSalle great, is the head coach at Southern Connecticut, I believe, still, um, you know, and was involved in in that title run, uh, you know. But for them to play at their best, you know, last year, the, the NEC, the tournament format, if, if you're the lower seed, the deck is stacked firmly against you. You have to win road games to get to the conference championship game and, and ultimately to get in the NCAA tournament. They won two of them, uh, lost the third one, ran out of gas a little bit, um, you know, but she felt like that team in February and in March could have played with anybody, uh, you know, and they have good returning pieces, whether it's uh, Mariana Planas Fortuny. Uh, or Nicole Gallagher on the wing, uh, you know, that's decent talent to bring into the America East. Um, you know, and Bryant is, is certainly a place where I think you can win games and win in your league, uh, you know, and I, I think that's, you know, reason enough to to follow the Bulldogs as well. I think it's a great tribute to Coach Burke and to the coaching staff there. Uh, the fact that you would peak, you know, late in the season. I think that's always a great sign, a great sign of a great coach and a staff when you improve throughout the year. 
And, you know, it's, it's funny when we were talking about uh, the Brown men, you know, in the earlier podcast, Maury, um, you know, the fact that, you know, you can have a March tournament where everybody's in. And if you're a team that can peak and peak late, you, you can make a run and you, you know, you wish you saw that in the Ivy league, you know, with the men's and women's tournaments there. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, they have the returning pieces, obviously when you, when you lose a, a player like Brooke Bajelko, who, you know, was an all league player, that's, you know, you're going to have to replace that, um, you know, somehow, some way, but good returning pieces. Uh, Megan Bozzioni is another girl that I've mentioned too, because she's a local girl um, and getting local players, as part of your program that can contribute is always a great thing mm-hmm. for, you know, interest and for recruiting. And so um, to have a, a player like that, that's going to return and, and going to be a contributor is a, is certainly a good thing, but you know, it's, it's great when you have a program that has a coach like Mary Burke, who, you know, it's always an upward trajectory, you know, going toward March. Yeah. There's a solid foundation there. She's been there for a while. Uh, she knows what it takes to win. And um yeah, looking forward to another season there. And, you know, it's wild to say that Bryant is probably the closest school of the four that we cover closely um, that could get two in the dance. Uh, they were they were right there last year, uh, and they're probably the closest again this year with the men's team being, um, you know, right there uh, and the women's team only being a couple wins away in March. Interesting. That, you know, I wonder when the last time that happened was. I, I, I got to believe that it, you know, could have been Providence in the 80s when, when Doris Burke was there and, and Mary Burke was a player. Wow. Uh, wow. You know, I, I got to think it was in the late 80s at, at, at that point, uh, you know, because the Friars had a power at that point in the Big East. Uh, Doris Sable, as, as she was known then, was a terrific point guard at, at Providence. And Mary Burke, who was a, a Warwick native, uh, a multi-sport star at Tollgate was an absolute beast in the paint. Uh, you know, if if you dig out some of that grainy VHS tape and and you see, you know, the Friars play in the late 80s, they were a wagon. I mean, they were really, really good. Um, you know, and I look at Providence now and, you know, you got Janae Crooms, Cranston kid, uh, you know, who's a preseason All-Big East selection, uh, you know, just Physically strong, tough guard. Uh, I would not want to play against her because uh, I think she'd beat me up. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. Um, you know, they got a, a sophomore big who I really like in Olivia Olson. I, I think she's really athletic, um, you know, could be a breakout player for them this year. Um, you know, Friars are picked in the bottom half of the Big East. They have talent on that roster. It, it's just a matter of the league is really tough, obviously, with UConn at the top. Uh, Villanova brings back Maddie Segrist, who averaged 28 points a game last year, broke the Big East scoring record. She was phenomenal, um, you know, and, and could get some preseason All-American hype. Um, you know, that is a tough ceiling to crack in that league. It, it is a very good basketball league, uh, you know, obviously headlined by UConn, but there are programs, aspiring programs, who want to take down the King in, in Gino Ariama, and that is – a tough league to break through. I, I think, you know, Providence has a, they have a good team, but they have a major challenge in, in terms of who they're stuck playing every night. Yeah. Um, and again, you mentioned Janae, having a local player headlining a lo- local program like that, I think is a huge deal when it comes to women's hoops. And you're right. She's a tough player. She's just I, I like watching her play because she's just tough. Um, and so having her, you know, on the squad is, is important. You know, you mentioned Olsen. I think the sophomore class for PC 
is is going to be key to their success and who steps forward. You know, Olsen is is a girl that could step forward. Uh, Kylie Shepard, I think, is a girl that could be you know a girl that steps forward. They have a girl like an Emily Archibald who's on the roster that. Um, you know, she was Miss Maine basketball, I think, a couple of years ago, too, mm. uh, which is a big deal in that state. So uh, and a Naraya Scott, like there's there's a lot of names in their sophomore class that I think are going to be key to the Friars success. And, you know, you mentioned it starts with Olsen and, um, you know, whoever steps forward, you know, and, and helps Janae out because, you know, Janae's going to be, you know, the, the lead dog here for the Friars. You know, that's going to help. Yeah. Yeah, there's a recipe for success there when you have, you know, that young talent, um, you know, who's still an under underclassman in, in the sophomore group. And, you know, they become almost juniors by the time February and March rolls around. And you have a trusty veteran guard, tough bulldog in, in Janae Crooms. You have a coach, Jim Crawley, who's been there for a little while. You, know, you never know what can happen at the end of the season. Um, but uh, it's a tough league. It's a tough league. I mean, Villanova's good. Creighton's good. Marquette's solid. You know, UConn is in a class of their own. Um, it, it's and DePaul. How can I forget about DePaul? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough league to be in. But, you know, you never know how the pieces will fit. You never know, you know, what happens to other teams. And uh, you roll the ball out there and you play. And the other thing, too, I'll mention with the Friars is that they got to a WNIT a few years ago. And, yeah. you know, to have that kind of postseason, you know, success. And they won a few games in that tournament. So, um, you know, it's it, it that is part of sort of building the program and keeping it, it, it relevant and, and keeping the interest there. Um, and so of the four programs in the state, you want to talk about postseason and getting there. The Friars did it a couple of years ago and there was some buzz there. The fact that they were winning games and hosting games at Alumni Hall. Yeah, Brown, obviously a team that, that is still in the building phase. Uh, second year under Monique LeBlanc, uh, you know, and you look at some of the players they have in their team, you know, Bella Mauricio sticks out, obviously someone who can really score, can really shoot it. Uh, you know, it's basically her program going forward. Uh, you know, she was recruited uh, with a, a green light that is like bright green, like, go ahead. You know, you're going to be our best player. Go ahead and, and take all the shots, score all the points. It's fine. Uh, you know, we'll build around you. Um, you know, they were picked eighth in the Ivy League. There are eight teams in the Ivy League. Uh, so you, you get an idea of what coaches think of them. And, and I thought I thought Monique's response at Media Day was, was uh, you know, was wonderfully straightforward. She's like, yeah, we're picked eighth. We deserve to be there until we show somebody otherwise. And I was like, well, there's bulletin board material for your team. I was like, I guarantee they're going to hear this speech, you know, God knows how many times over the next five months, whether it's in practice or on game night. Hey, ladies, we were picked eighth. Like, you know, that's what they think of you. Everyone thinks that you're not very good. You know, can we go out 30 times this year and prove everybody wrong? We have 30 opportunities to do that. Um, you know, so I, I think that that their approach is refreshing in, in that way. Um, you know, I like teams and, and coaches who have a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, I, I think the way that that she's approaching building the program at Brown, I'm, I'm a big fan. I think Monique's real. Uh, and, and I really like that about her. Um, and we've seen how she can have success building up a program. She had it at Merrimack. And yeah, she so, was a big winner at Merrimack, for sure. Yeah, she was. She was. And I think she takes a lot of pride, though, too, in being here now with Brown. She's a Rhode Island native. Cumberland I mean, native, that, yeah. That's huge. Um, and, and that, again, local. Uh, you know, I, I stress that when it comes to, you know, building interest and in, in building these women's basketball programs. And, you know, Monique, I think, you know, certainly knows this state. 
Um, yes, it's good to have a player like like Mauricio, who you know you know is going to score. But I think Bella's going to have some help now too. Um, I like the addition, you know, bringing in the Calhoun sisters. Um, I think these girls have a lot of talent. Um, you know, we we saw it in Barrington, you know, last year with Maddie. Um, and so you know, I I, I think you know it, it's it's on the you're you're building this thing up right now. Um, but I think certainly they're young, but you know, can they take a step forward and show some improvement this year and have that chip on their shoulder? We'll see. But I, I have confidence with with Monique because I think she's like I said, she's a real coach, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 excited to see what she can do uh, in year two and, and moving forward. And I think another thing that to add to this conversation is when you want to build a program, it's so important about the coaches on your staff. Um, and and Tyler Patch, you know, let me throw this out there. Her her <laughs> assistant coach, they've been together for a while. They built a power in Merrimack. Um, their first season in Division One when they when they moved up from D two to D one, they went twenty and nine. They went thirteen and five in the NEC. Tyler Patch, you talk about local coid. I mean, he's the all time leading scorer at Seekonk High School with seventeen hundred and forty six points. You know, he earned some all state recognition from the Globe and the Herald. I mean, this is a guy who knows what the head coach wants, who knows what the head coach wants in a player. When you have two key pieces who are trying to have a rebuild, I think it's just as important that the assistant or, or, or your top assistant um, has been with you along the way. You know, we talked about my experience with Quinnipiac, my alma mater. Mountain McGilvery was, you know, just as important as Trisha Fabry. Trisha Fabry has all the accolades and won all the awards because she's the head coach. Well, as soon as Mountain McGilvery left, you know, he went over and took over a, a program in LaSalle, who was picked second preseason in the A-10 after being at the complete bottom, right? I mean, he was the key reason he brought in a lot of those players that led to a Sweet 16. Similar here with Tyler Patch. Has a longstanding relationship with Monique, with Monique LeBlanc. And I think because they've been around so long, that can really expedite a rebuilding process when there's that familiarity. Well, that's why when I talk about Maine, too, talk about Richard Barron starting things up there while Amy Vashon was one of the top assistants and she steps right in and that success has continued to grow. Amy was, you know, she's the daughter of a, a longtime coach, you know, in the Augusta area. And so, you know, and she was a great player herself. So, yeah, it's it's always important to have, you know, great members of the staff. Uh, and I'll give a shout out here, too. When we talked about Bryant, I should have mentioned my guy, Coach Jonathan Parsons, who is always such a great advocate for that program and always has such a positivity when it comes to the Bulldogs. So shout out to Coach Parsons, too. Yeah, Marcus Riley as well. And that Bryant staff, Cranston native, uh, you know, guy who won big at Cranston West, who, who's had his own program at CCRI and, uh, you know, somebody who... Uh, you know, has been around the state's basketball circles for a long time. I, I was just thinking, you guys bring up Tyler Batch, Tyler Patch, and, and Monique, who who is a great player at Bishop Fian. The the starting five at Brown on the two coaching staffs. You add Mike Martin, Tyson Wheeler, and TJ Sorrentine to that. It's a pretty good group. I mean that that group scored good. a lot of points, done a lot of winning in, in high school and college. That you put them up against any other school in the state for sure. Damn good. <laughs> yeah. no like, doubt. Like, like really good they're they're ballers there i i would pay to yeah. see that lunchtime five against like the intramural champions uh <laughs> you know on campus and and if they could sponsor that for an exhibition i'd rather have that than like you know bryant playing main fort kent 
Sorry, Fort Kent, but like <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd rather see the coaches play five on five, uh, you know, against a bunch of guys who think they could walk on somewhere. Uh, that that would be more interesting to me. Um, that wraps up our preview editions here on the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we are going to come to you pretty regularly throughout the regular season. We're talking about at least one of these a week, maybe two, gentlemen, perhaps. See how the schedule works out there, BK. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> we, we got we got a lot going on this time of year with high school playoffs. The Patriots still going, obviously. Um, you know, but it is the best time of year because college basketball is back. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have these two guys alongside again for the ride. Uh, we thank you all for listening and uh, enjoy the games Monday night. It, it all starts. We'll be out there and we're looking forward to it.